motivational posters. Maybe some of you have one. Here's one. It's dreams. If you can dream it, you can become it. Next one. Um, courage. Courage is a resistance to is resistance to fear, master of fear, not absence of fear. Next one. These are all kind of these motivational things. Goals. Obstacles are those frightful things you see when you take your eyes off the goal. All right. Those are real motivational ones. However, there's a website called despair.com. All right. Here's some of the posters you can buy on that website. Challenges. I expected times like these, but never thought they'd be so bad, so long, and so frequent. All right, next one. Mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. All right, next one. Pain. Pain is just weakness leaving the body. Sometimes your spirit tags along with it. All right, next one. This is... Despair.com. They have coffee mugs, T-shirts, all right. Obstacles. You can see it's a road, you know, like an earthquake or something. Some things cannot be overcome with determination and a positive attitude. All right, a few more. Perspective. Less is more. Unless you're standing next to the one with more, then less just looks pathetic. <laughs> all right. Winners. Because nothing says you're a loser more than owning a motivational poster about being a winner. <laughs> All right? I think there's few, yeah. Desperation. You can't really tell it's a sea lion in the snow. Past a certain point, there's nothing to do but give up. And the last one, despair. It's always darkest just before it goes pitch black. <laughs> All right? Now, let's be honest, though. There's humor in those, but let's be honest. Some of you, in the, in the bedroom of your mind, those posters are in your mind. Some of those in the bedroom of your marriage, so to speak, those posters are what dictates how you see things. Not much hope, not much expectation. And maybe to some degree you've given up on determination. If I just put my mind to it, I can make this work. All right. Again, whether you're just about you, your life, or if you are married about your marriage, motivational posters and motivational sayings really don't cut it. They don't bring about the change and the transformation you desire. When Dan was praying here about that God makes, he redeems us, he brings change in us. It's not a result of motivational posters and motivational sayings. And you and I both know that. I mean, those are good. It's good to have a positive mindset, have good expectations, try not to be negative. But let's be honest, sometimes those latter posters kind of drive how we feel and think, even though we don't always want to say that to people. I, today we're finishing a series on dangerous intimacy about marriage. But I also want to say today it's not just about marriage. It's, all, it's just about you. And if you're single, it's about you. And sometimes the posters, how those posters speak in your life, whether it's despair or you give up or you have obstacles and you just think, I'm never going to change to be the kind of person I think I'm supposed to be. Or if you're married, you may think those thoughts about you. You may think those thoughts about your marriage. And you may have given up hope. Or maybe you, not may, maybe you have given up hope. And again, none of us typically say that. Oh, I've given up all hope in my marriage. 
But if you're honest with kind of the deepest part of your heart that kind of stirs, you may have given up hope on that, that that part of your life, you personally, that that's going to change. And you're just realizing, you know what, I just may have to deal with that issue the rest of my life. And I'm not really going to hope a whole lot. Um, I've come done hoping. I'm just going to survive life. And like I've said before, I've got my ticket to heaven. That's all I need. I'll just survive. And you kind of blot out the words of Jesus when he said he came to give us an abundant kind of life-giving kind of joyful kind of life. And you've kind of said, well, that must not be true. Or you, nobody says it consciously, but you think that. So the word for the day, which is the same word as last week, is, is the word healing. Because here's, here's the realization. I can know my stuff. And I, and I, don't, may I, I mean, I know all of it, but I know a lot of my stuff. And by, by stuff, I mean I know the things in my life in which those posters jump on the wall of my mind. I know the times in my life where I think, why, do I, why can't I get out of this funk where I can be negative or judgmental or harsh with my kids or insensitive with my wife? I know when those times happen, and it's like I know I'm there, but I can't get out of it. And so sometimes my human response, which may be like yours, is, okay, I just need to be more disciplined. I need to work at it harder. I need to try, try, try harder and be a little more, you know, positive thinking, positive thinking, positive thinking. It works to a point, to a small point. It doesn't change me. It doesn't change me. And the realization is the Christian, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not try harder. Be more disciplined. Work at it. Do some good things so God will at least give you some kind of favor. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is transformation, change, and healing. And I'm not just talking physical healing, although I, we believe that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus does that, and he did that, and he does that. But we're talking about even the healing of our emotions, the healing of some of those parts of our heart that have been wounded, beat up, whatever, by your own bad choices or the choices of another who maybe wounded you, whatever, however they came about. Um, all of us, there's none of us who is whole. None of us who would say we're fully alive, awake, and free. And if you think you are, then sooner or later you're going to hit something in life and you realize you're not. But we all know that. I mean, we all know there's these things inside. I was like, I wish I wasn't like that, but I don't know what else to do. I guess I'll read my Bible more. Not that that's bad, but spiritual disciplines don't change you. They put you in a situation where you can't be changed, but trying harder, doing more, doesn't change you and I'm 52 I've been a follower of Jesus for over 40 years and I think I'm just now figuring that out I, I've, I figured it out before but you know what I'm saying it's I need Jesus present tense not I needed him I need Jesus I need the Holy Spirit in my life one of the things this is just a, a short commercial starting next week I'm going to start a new series on Jesus. Novel idea. But on the, on, on the way that is Jesus the only way to the Father? We believe he is. But in preparation for this, I've had conversation with a Mormon bishop, somebody who's Muslim, a Jewish rabbi, a Tibetan Buddhist monk. And it's interesting that it seems like the common theme in world religions is here's the things you have to do to be a good 
fill in the blank, Muslim, Jew, Buddhist, whatever. Here's the things you have to do. The message of Jesus is different. It's not do this and be accepted. It's, it's coming to a point of understanding that Jesus does this. We, we, Christianity is a supernatural religion. It's not a moral religion. It's not a political religion. It's not a religion of just habits. It's not just how to be good moral people. We believe there's a supernatural reality, the spirit of Jesus, that actually has a part of us, comes inside of us, and changes parts of our spirit, our emotional lives, however you want to call it, changes us. So a harsh person can become kind, not because they push down the harsh thoughts and kind of stick them inside, but because the harshness is redeemed, kind of like Dan said, it's redeemed, it's changed and it's taken away, and I become kind. Or an angry person can become kind. Or a stingy person can become generous. Again, not because I just push it down, but because it's taken away. But you can't take it away, neither can I. Jesus does. So to look at that, we're going to look at, uh, we did this last week, we're going to look at a few stories of people in their interaction with Jesus when he healed them and trying to figure out is there anything constant in these stories that we might learn from again not something that we should do but is there a certain kind of person that Jesus heals is there a certain approach we have to Jesus again not not a legalist here's some things you need to do but is there a certain pattern is there a certain kind of heart that seems to get Jesus attention the gospel start this way, or one of the gospels, go to the next slide. Got, uh, Matthew chapter 4, when Matthew's kind of, it's the opening description of Jesus' ministries. And when he says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. It's interesting that he preached the good news and healing Matthew. And he doesn't say this just once. Matthew says it again later in the book, his book. Those are tied together. Preaching, transformation. The doctrine, the transformation. Christianity is not just believing the right things, it's understanding the possibility of transformation and change through the power of Jesus. So we're gonna look at some stories in the Gospels, primarily in Gospels of Matthew and Mark. And you know, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four life stories that those individuals wrote about Jesus. Some of them share some of the same stories. Some of them have different stories. And like newspaper reporters, when they saw something happen or heard from somebody else what happened, they may report the details differently, but it isn't, you know, the, so they show up in different ways sometimes, but the stories really have the same kind of theme to it. All right. Now, I'm going to introduce another word to you. Go to the next slide. Okay, there's a, there's a phrase that's used in scripture, and it's translated different ways, but it typically means to cry out. Uh, when someone cries out to Jesus from the Old Testament, crying out to God. But in the New Testament, as we use, cry out. And I, and I really do this, but I'm going to tell you what the Greek word is. Not because I want you to think I'm smarter than you, because I'm not. I'm, but the Greek word is the word kradzo. All right? And it's one of those words that's, uh, what's the word? Onomatopoeia. It's a word that they put together because it sounds like what you do. Kradzo. It's a cr- it actually comes from... The, the sound a crow or a frog makes when they croak. Kradzo. All right? Kradzo. I mean, we have words like that in English. I can't think of them offhand. But you know what I mean? The words that, we have a word that sounds like how we say it. 
right? And that's called onomatopoeia. If you don't, if you, for those of you English majors who forgot that, it's a great word to say, onomatopoeia. Anyway, kradzo, all right? It's to croak or to cry out, usually out of a need or, of, or some kind of fear. So it's when you, when it's crying out, kind of like, you know, help me. You know, that kind of a thing. And it was thought in the ancient times, it was used in religious connotations. It was also the same word used when demons would cry out to Jesus. There was a crying out, kind of from the depth of their being, so to speak. Interesting, in that time, the, both the Romans and the Greeks felt like that kind of crying out to God was really just inappropriate. Uh, lack decorum. Improper. But we're going to see in all three of these stories, that very verb appears where someone cries out to God. And we're going to look and see what, how did they get to that point? What does that look like? First one's this, all right? First story is this. Matthew chapter 15, it all shows up in Mark 7. There's a Gentile woman who has a daughter who's demonized. And I'll use the word demonized because that's the best way to talk about it. We use demon possession, but really the better sense of translating it would be a demonized demon harassed and in some sense occupying or possessing but demonized is the better translation so gentile woman all right so gentiles were anything that was not anyone who was not a jew so the gentiles uh, jesus came for the jews so gentiles were considered by the jews as unclean dogs so first of all who in the world does this woman think she is that she would even approach Jesus? I mean, she's not one of his. She's not one of his kind. That's not why he came. So this woman has incredible courage to get in the way of Jesus. And she says, she approaches Jesus, and the, 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 the Greek says, she was crodzoing. She was crying out to him, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. She calls him son of David. Well, son of David was a term the Jews would use because that was how they understood that the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the one that would bring hope and change the world was going to be a descendant of David. So here this Gentile dog, unclean woman is acknowledging he's the, you're the one. Have mercy on me, O son of David. My daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. And Jesus, at first, unsettlingly so, Jesus doesn't respond to her. And the disciples kind of want her to go away. Send her away, Jesus, because she's still, she's crodzoing. And she's not one of us. And then Jesus has this interaction with her where he says, you know, I really came for the Jews. And, and she says, yeah, but even we Gentiles can still benefit from what you're doing for them. And Jesus says, I've never seen such great faith. Your daughter isn't going to be well. And he heals her. Changes. Now, you might think, wait, wait, you know, demonic possession. Demo even if you don't believe in demonic possession or demonization, and I do and we do at Exodus, even if you don't, something changed in this young girl's life. So at least give change a chance there. And it wasn't psychosomatic change. Something changed in this young girl's behavior. Next story. This one is a demonized son. And it's interesting that Jesus is often put in 
comp he's, he's battling the spiritual realities that we all battle. And this is one where the, the father brought this son to the disciples to cast out this demon because this young boy said he would always have these seizures. So some people often think that demonic possession really was epilepsy, misunderstood. But it goes farther than that, so it's really not that. Because he had seizures, and he would, he would foam at the mouth, and he would actually, his body would go toward, like, immerse himself in water into a fire. So there was this irrational seizures he had that was basically trying to destroy this young boy. And even like, you know, the, the mother with the daughter, and now we have a father with a son, and many of us are parents here. You can imagine your emotion... If you had a son or a daughter who was demonized like the first lady or a son who was constantly trying to self-destruct himself and probably a young boy. And the disciples tried to cast it out and they couldn't. And so the father says to Jesus, have mercy on us and help us if you can. And Jesus says, if I can. And Jesus isn't making fun of the man, but he's kind of, if I can. And then the man crodzos. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, Jesus. I believe. And again, he's not doing it. It's not like Jesus is saying, yell louder. Can't hear you. Yell louder. No, the man, when Jesus is, what, if I, what do you mean? Cast this demon out if I can. Of course I can. Don't you believe? And the man's like, no, I do. I do believe. And again, it wasn't, it wasn't, Jesus wasn't testing the man to see if he could yell loud enough to get his attention. But the man, because, you can't imagine if you're a parent, from the depth of his being, I do believe, but I, I do, but I don't, but I want you to help me believe because I want change in this, my boy's life. Help me. And Jesus heals the boy. Change. You can't imagine what that father must have felt the next couple days. Kind of like when he's telling the story, look, it's my son, it's my son. Hey, let's go out and throw the football or whatever they threw around then. You know, whatever. But he's like, wow. Next one, last one, which is one, this next one is one of my favorite stories of the Bible. I have like 40 favorite stories in the Bible. But this was in Bartimaeus. And this was in Jericho. This was the, like the day before Jesus was heading in to Jerusalem for his final week. So even church calendar-wise, it's, it's really interesting to look at this. He's in Jericho, and the next couple of days he goes to Jerusalem for his final week before he's crucified, betrayed, you know, and rises from the dead. And he's, uh, read that Jesus is walking with a crowd of people. So there was noise. There was kind of commotion and chaos. And Bartimaeus, was, he's one of the blind men named, but Scripture tells us there were two, but one... In this particular passage in the Gospel of Mark, he names him as Bartimaeus. And it says that Bartimaeus figured out something was going on. He's blind men. In those days, their, their, best, their best lot in life was begging. That's the best they could do. So you can imagine hot, dusty road, and you've all seen homeless people in big towns who are you know, sitting on a, next to a building with a cup, and they're playing a guitar, trying to do something to get money, or they're just kind of wanting for money. So take that and kind of maybe make it even more extreme. But this guy sitting on the side of the road, he hears commotion. His whole life has been shame. His whole life has been despair. I mean, those posters were permanently etched on, his, on, his, on the room of his mind. Despair, quitting, obstacles, zero hope, zip, zip, none for change. Probably hoped he was dead many times. We don't know, but you can imagine. 
he figures out from the chaos, he might have asked somebody that it's Jesus of Nazareth who's coming. He had heard about Jesus. He heard about this guy. And so it says he crodzoed. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. He's trying to get Jesus' attention because all this noise, he's got to be heard. This may be his only or last hope, maybe. So he yells out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And then the disciples, like they did with the, the mother of the demonized woman, they're like, quiet. Shut up. Inappropriate. You're bothering the master. And I love the heart and spirit of Bartimaeus because it said he cried out all the louder. He crozzoed even more. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Again, he wasn't just playing an emotional game of I can yell louder than the crowd can. It was coming from a part of his spirit that he knew I am desperate for tra transformation. I'm desperate. And then Jesus says, hey, Jesus hears him. He says, bring, bring the man to me. And what's interesting is some of the commentators think Bartimaeus, when he was crying out for mercy, he really may have just been saying, I, wanting alms. I need money. Have mercy. I need money. I need some help. He may not have even thought about healing. Now stop for a second. Maybe there's things in your life, and I know there are things in mine, where I know I need help. I know something's not working in my spirit. But it may go deeper than what I even know. And sometimes I might cry out to Jesus for help for this, and he wants to get way down here. So sometimes you don't even know. Some, you can know what's wrong without knowing how to get better, right? We all know that. I can know how I... I wish I would respond to my wife differently in this situation or my kids or I wish I'd resp respond differently when somebody cuts me off in traffic or whatever. You can know you respond a certain way and don't like it without knowing how to change it. And sometimes when you ask Jesus for change, you want this surface change and he's like, I want to get down here. So he brings Bartimaeus to him and uh, if I could see, if we could re-see real scenes when we're in heaven someday, I think that's the website I'm going to go to, Bartimaeus.com. I'm going to see the YouTube from what, when Jesus, I'm assuming somebody must have been videoing that, all right? I want to see that because I want to see Jesus walk up to Bartimaeus, a blind man, and say, what, what do you want me to do for you? And you might think, well, duh, Jesus. He's blind. But maybe Jesus knew the guy was asking for alms and just help, and then he realized the way Jesus said it, no, maybe. I'm going to go down deeper in my heart. Because then he said to Jesus, I want to see. I want to see. That's really the deepest part of my heart. I want to see. And then scripture tells us that Jesus uh, touched him. And he could see. Now, what's interesting with all three of these stories, the woman who had a daughter who was demonized, a son who had a, the man who had a son who was demonized, had epileptic seizures, with, and then Bartimaeus is every single one of them, they crodzoed. They croaked. They kind of found a deeper part of their heart because they knew that's really where they wanted change. And every single one of them were desperate. Let's be honest. None of, none of us like thinking that we're desperate. It, it sounds so desperate, right? Oh, he's a really desperate person. I mean, if it's dating, 
Nobody likes to be said. He's really desperate to get married. So we usually don't use desperate in any kind of a positive sense. He's really desperate for this, desperate for that. But I would say in terms of the heart of God, this is a really good word. It's a really good way to be described. Desperate, because you know there's no other way to change, none. And you've tried everything you've been told to try, and change hasn't happened because you've been trying to do that all by yourself. So maybe desperate is a word. And the other word I'm going to use, I have, I have four words I'm just going to use two. They were unashamed. Unashamed. They didn't care what people thought about them. The woman didn't care that she was a Gentile and that Jesus may not give her the time of day. She didn't care what people would think about her. The father with the epileptic child, he didn't care. He didn't care if people thought he was, oh, he's a real desperate guy. Wow. A little bit bold to talk to Jesus that way. He didn't care. Bartimaeus, when they told him, shut up, quit bothering the man, he didn't care. He didn't care. And maybe, not maybe, I, I do believe that sometimes our care of the opinions of others is a big block to our having the healing power of Jesus. Because sometimes what Jesus may ask you to do for your healing is to talk to a friend of yours and say, you know what? I struggle with sexual addictions. I struggle with chemical addiction. I really struggle with anger in my marriage. I can't forgive this person. Because the minute you speak that to a brother or sister in Christ, your fear is, understandably so, ooh, they're going to think less of me. You know what? When you speak that, Jesus thinks more of you. Not more of you because you have those issues, but more of you because you know the pathway to wholeness and help and healing. So can we stop having desperate and unashamed being bad words. Now, there may be, maybe your healing is because there's some sin issue in your life that you can't break, and there's shame associated with the sin issue. But I would still say, bring that shame to Jesus. Because he, it's, it's a, he, he shows his favor to those who bring him those kind of things. So I'm not saying eliminate your shame. No, bring the shame to Jesus. And so when you... Share to someone you know, a good friend, a good spiritual friend, hey, my, my marriage is really struggling right now, and I really don't know what to do. Your first reaction is, they're gonna, I don't want to get shame from this person, but I'll guarantee you, if it's a mature follower of Jesus, they won't give you shame back. They'll give you encouragement, and they'll pray for you, because that's what God wants to do. He wants to do great work in your life. You, I guarantee the people that go to celebrate recovery, the weekly ministry that deals with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, some of these issues, Part of their struggle and part of what they finally probably realized they the hill they have to get over, they have to get over the shame. Not, not get past the shame, but get over feeling ashamed. Because we all have things we're ashamed of. There's not one person in here that doesn't have something in your life that other people may or may not know. that you, If they ever barely knew, if I said, line up here, let's all tell us something about your life you really don't enjoy. Every one of us would have something we're, have, we're ashamed of. Every one of us. So... Next slide. How do I become that kind of person? Now, I'm, again, the volume of your voice isn't any kind of spiritual measure to God or to Jesus. But it seemed like the, 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 the volume of the spirit that was coming out from them, the desperation, not being ashamed, 
the determination is what mattered to Jesus. But maybe there's a time in your car where you're driving, you might just say to Jesus, have mercy on him. You might just yell it out to him. I was taking a walk recently, and I had somewhat of an intense conversation with Jesus about something. And I was telling him I was ticked off at him about something. He can take it. But it was, it was something I thought, you know, I, but there's something about that part of us that often feels like the ancient Greeks and Romans did. This feels inappropriate to be that emotional or desperate or determined or unashamed. It's like, no, those are the people, Gentile woman, man with the son, Bartimaeus, those are the people that I'm sure Jesus, I mean, if anything, Jesus said to them, what great faith, what great faith. What great faith. That's what he saw. So I don't know how the Spirit of God will lead you uh, to cry out to him, what that looks like. Because, again, again I'm not, it's not an invitation to be emotional or scream and shout or if you yell louder, God has to heal you. But I think you all know what I'm talking about. There may be times where you're taking a walk, maybe times where you're in your car, maybe times where you're in your home by yourself and you just have this, you know there's something that you just need to kind of really put out to Jesus because you know that's an issue that can only change if Jesus touches it. That's why we are followers of Jesus. We believe there's supernatural power so we can be alive, awake, and free. We can have the kind of marriages we've always dreamed of. We can have the kind of relationships with people we've always dreamed of where we're full, like the passage from Ephesians said on these orange cards, where we're full of the life and love and power that come from God. There's not one person here that doesn't want to be that kind of person. But the pathway is not try harder. The pathway is desperation, unashamed, determination. Get in the way of Jesus. Get his attention. Scream and shout at him or whatever that looks like. Get in his way and stop caring about what other people think about you. Because your image to them doesn't matter. It's what Jesus thinks about you that matters. So I, I, my... I'll finish with this. Uh, Dan and I were at a conference recently in New York City um, at a church that, uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle, a church that's known for prayer. They had a guest speaker there. It was a pastor from a large, very good, godly man from a large church in San Diego. And he said, his name is David Jeremiah. He said, you know what I found out about this church, the Brooklyn church? He said, at my church in San Diego, we pray. At this church... You cry out to God. I wish my church could be more like your church. See the difference there? What does it mean that we throw off those shackles of image and propriety and let God heal us? All right, let's pray. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, the chosen one, the Messiah, not only of the Jewish people, but of those of us, the rest of us who are Gentiles, the Messiah, the one who was going to bear our sins, heal our sorrows, heal our diseases, bring us to wholeness, have mercy on us. 
because we know only when we have that spirit towards you, Jesus, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for people that are that open to you and who have died to the silliness of image and have died to the silliness of propriety and what's proper and what's appropriate for religious situations. And we've put ourselves before you because we want to be one of those people that you say, I've never seen such great faith in Bloomington. I've never seen such great faith in Ellisville or Harrodsburg or Bedford. I've never seen such great faith. That's the kind of people we want to be because we want change. And we know, Jesus, you alone have the power to change us. So our prayer for each one of my brothers and sisters here is that we, be, that we look to Bartimaeus and this mother with this daughter and the father. May they be our role models in faith. And we ask this all uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen. We uh, finish every Sunday at Exodus.